Greetings and thank you for starting your journey with the Lionhead Gaming Heroes of Thylea podcast, our mythical Greek D&D adventure where the players know they are the chosen ones from the very beginning. This is the five-episode recap for episodes one through five, written by Melanie, edited and read by Jordan of Lionhead Gaming, the DM of Heroes of Thylea. Without further ado, let us now begin. The Oath of Peace is coming to an end. The people of Thylea are worried. This oath was the only thing keeping the Titans, Sidon, and Lutheria from terrorizing the world and all who inhabit it. But in this time of uncertainty, there are whispers that the Oracle has seen a vision of hope. There would be a group of heroes who would stand before Sidon and Lutheria and put an end to them once and for all. Who they are? Well, no one knows just yet. Several adventurers of varying skill have been called on to take a job from one of the Oracle's messengers, who offers the opportunity to speak to the Oracle if her quest is accomplished. She awaits in the Sour Vintage, a small tavern alongside the road, just a few moments away from the Old Woods Forest. First to arrive is Sophia, a soft-spoken Stygian of muted hues and just as neutral a face. Theamos, a fair-skinned, charismatic young man with stark white hair and a mouth full of jokes, is second to arrive, and quickly followed by Atreus, kissed by the sun but a serious hoplite with little to say and little joy for Theamos's humor. Inside, they meet a woman as fair as wheat with wavy dark hair who introduces herself as Kyra, a bard of the Oracle. She informs them that the others are expected, but does not want to waste any time waiting, and immediately tells the present trio of the great deed they are to set out on. A giant boar has been wreaking havoc in the heartlands, destroying everything in its path in a mindless rampage. This creature was corrupted by the titans, giving it monstrous strength, and has bested many others who have gone to slay it. The job is simple. Slay the boar, sacrifice it in the name of the five gods, and be rewarded with 100 drachmi, or gold pieces, as well as an audience with the oracle. Kyra left the tavern to look for the other travelers she summoned for the great deed, leaving the trio to talk among themselves. They spoke to each other about their capabilities in battle, Atreus was once a soldier of Mitros. Theamos had some use of divine magic and martial prowess, and Sophia was a well-studied wizard. Outside the Sour Vintage, more began to arrive, starting with Nyx, a burnt umber-skinned nymph with thick, long hair of moonlight, who rode in on horseback and shouted for the people in front of her to move off the path to make way for her. Inferia, a dryad with grassy skin and bright blue hair, obliged, but did not slow down her pace as she walked into the tavern. And shortly following was Mercury, a tawny-toned siren with golden hair and deep blue feathers upon his wings. 
and a peculiar accent that is best described as Time's New Texan, who also traveled with a beast of burden, Eddie, a donkey, and put him up in the stables. Theomos, Sophia, and Atreus noticed Nyx asking the bartender for Kyra, and invited her over to the table, along with the other two who just arrived. Atreus quickly explains the boar quest, and how it was a test to determine who the foreseen heroes were meant to be. Introductions quickly followed, with Sophia introducing the early arrivers. Mercury, Nyx, and Inferia briefly introduced themselves. They each asked each other what they wanted from the Oracle. Mercury shared he was in search of his homeland, an island that no one seems to have heard of. Sophia wants to learn why her family's patron has fallen silent after she became head of her family. Nyx is seeking answers as to why, in a terrible incident that claimed her peers and her mothers, she was the single one spared. Inferia doesn't seem to have a specific goal. She is merely intrigued that the Oracle summoned her to begin with, but she is hoping this adventure leads her to seeing a dragon someday. Theomos did not specify, but he just wanted to fix something his father broke. Atreus seems to be hunting a dragon and seeks answers to both his location and how to best it. Kyra eventually returned and happily answered more questions about the boar they were to face the next day. Nyx turned in early, wanting to consult with Valis, the goddess of knowledge and wisdom, before resting. The rest of the group talked to some injured patrons, who faced the boar not too long ago, mentioning how two of their comrades did not make it. Mercury honored them by playing a song on his lute. The next day, Inferia came down early and saw Nyx eating in solitude. The young dryad filled her in on what they had learned after the ore had retired for the evening. The rest of the group began to rise and join them for breakfast, where they discussed their tactics in combat to ensure effective coordination. Nyx, being a follower of the Five, was capable of magic and could aid in their support. Inferia shared that she was raised and trained by the Amazons across the Forgotten Sea, and Mercury would be able to aid from the sky using magic of his own from a safe distance. Atreus, however, surprised the group by telling them he did, in fact, have magic. In his words, I cast spear, and it kills people. Though he promptly apologized for Theomos' terrible joke-making, rubbing off on him just after a day. The scouting team, summoned by Kyra, Nikolai, and Chloe, arrived to guide everyone to the boar. Inferia, adept at tracking creatures herself, noticed that the tracks were going in a different direction than the team was heading, and promptly corrected the route to avoid getting lost. They made great time and came upon a cave where the boar was said to reside. But before they could get into place, the boar rushed out in a blind rage, piercing Nikolai in the chest and tossing him aside like a ragdoll. For a while, it focused its attacks on Atreus, who was very capable of holding his own, 
But when Nyx failed to blind the beast with her magic, it set its sights on her. She was able to keep a distance and run from the boar's attacks, leaving Atreus and Theamos to close the distance and bombard the creature. Chloe shot the boar with her longbow and caused the creature to fall. Or so they thought. Markings began to glow along its hide, and its tusk grew as a force of magic pushed out from it, nearly shoving Sophia off the cliffside. But Theamos and Atreus were able to hold their ground. The boar ran along the cliffside, targeting the bow woman who nearly struck it down. But Atreus was in hot pursuit, even if it meant getting slashed by one of its now serrated tusks. Sophia got the final blow. Strategically casting shatter while the boar stood upon the edge of the small cliff and causing it to plummet to its death. A deep, booming voice resonated in the back of their minds as the beast died, warning them that an ancient power will awaken and that the age of Mirtros and mortals will come to an end. No prophecy would save them. A light rose from the corpse, which Kyra explained was called a divine spark, and must be offered to any of the five gods. Nyx, being a follower of the five, immediately pulled out blocks of incense and burned herbs in her censer. She set ablaze a pyre of the beast and sent the spark to Valis, the goddess she prays to primarily. With the corrupted boar slain, Atreus, Emphyria, and Nyx searched the cave for survivors, but only found corpses. Continuing her clerical work, Nyx offered two drachmi for each soul to pay the ferryman for passage into the underworld, a total of six drachmi spent for Nikolai and two others. When they returned to the Sour Vintage, word of their success had already spread thanks to some magic of Kyra. Mercury gave closure to the hunting group who had lost their friends, assuring them that the monster would no longer be an issue. Unwinding for the night, Nixon Theamos joined some patrons for a game of Damon's Gambit, while Inferia watched curiously. Theamos ended the night as the big winner, and Nix ended up losing quite an amount of Drachmi, much to her dismay. Since this group completed the great deed, they would need to travel to the Oracle's temple in order to claim the other half of their reward, getting a chance to consult with the Oracle and confirm if they were the ones who would fulfill the prophecy. After reviewing possible paths, they decided they would take the route along the edge of the old woods. It was the more dangerous route, but Inferia believed she could guide the group by speaking with the trees and that they were capable of clearing up any trouble they would run into along the way opting for speed over safety. Just as they were about to set off in the morning, Kyra told the group that she hadn't heard from the Oracle in the last week. Even stranger, the Oracle wasn't responding to the magic she provided Kyra in order to, for them to communicate. For now, it wasn't anything to worry about. She was probably busy. Inferia did well as their guide even foraging for food and water while they traveled along the edge of the old woods. But a foul, sweet smell caught their attention, leading them to a grove of sickly trees. 
Infuria recognized it as a dryad's grove, but no dryad to be seen tending to them. Using his divine senses, Theomos could see corruption pulsing from the only healthy-looking tree in the area. Inferia wanted to see if she could help and approached the tree along with Nyx, Atreus, and Theomos. Mercury was trying to fly up above and keep an eye out for anything dangerous. Using her connection with nature, Inferia began talking with some of the corrupted plants and learned that the grove had been abandoned by its dryad. The corruption that infected these trees was spreading, and those that were left were trying to protect it. Seeing as Emphiria was eager to help, they asked her to take the place of their dryad within the mother tree, but she saw that this, too, was corrupted, and feared what would become of her if she accepted. Around her, the grove already began to move and attack. Atreus, Theomos, and Nyx were doing their best to hold off the blights and brambles, while Sophia watched from afar and cast magic from a safe distance. Still, Inferia refused to fight, holding out hope that there was something, anything she could do. Theomos called upon a draconic connection to roar and terrify most of the grove, but in spite of this, our heroes realized they were not making any progress, and the blights were starting to surround them. The two large blights sprouting from the mother tree in the middle of the grove that were speaking with Inferia began to corner her, began to try to coerce and force her into the tree. Just as Mercury and Sophia suggested retreating. The rest of the heroes began to do so, abandoning the center of the grove, but Inferia was caught in the vines unable to escape. In the moments before a true retreat, Atreus turned back, refusing to leave Emphyria behind. He grabbed Emphyria, pulling her away from the brambly brutes, and with a triumphant surge of action, dashed away from the danger as he carried Emphyria, bashing away incoming vines and needles with his shield as he returned to the rest of the group. After making it out safely, they knew they couldn't simply leave the grove to spread its corruption. Mercury flew high above, burning the corrupted plants and cleansing the forest of its illness. After burning down a corrupted grove, the group took a brief detour, which thankfully went without any further issue. Theamos asked if everyone was okay as they sat around the fire. Inferia was not making eye contact with anyone keeping a bit quiet and to herself. I took a moment to check in with each character, a scene of internal reflection, if you will, one by one to see where their minds were at. Nyx was more concerned with Inferia, who lost her own grove to fire and could do nothing to save this one, save cleanse it with more fire. But she knew that this was only the beginning and she would expect more horrible sights as they move forward to potentially slay the Titans. Mercury wasn't sure if this group had what it takes to survive, and would try to do some of the heavy lifting with blessings of Kira, the goddess he prays to. Sophia feels this journey is no different than the one she has been on for quite some time. 
She puts together a plan, things look fine, and then it all falls apart. The Grove is just another moment of failure. But perhaps the Oracle would be different. Theomos was just thinking about how the Grove situation went south, and his familiar, Darius, urged him to use the weapon and shield he had from his late friend. Especially now, considering that he would have a part in keeping the group safe. Inferia couldn't help but feel that she had acted foolishly. And in doing so, she almost got herself and the others killed. Atreus was somber, realizing that this could have been the first time some members of the group had experienced loss. Inferia especially, who Nyx mentioned was similar to a child from a nymph's perspective. Thankfully, the rest of their travels went without interruption. They arrived at the site of the Oracle's temple, which was within a natural hot spring, requiring the group to descend down into the mountains as steam rose from within. They could hear the sound of a struggle, an old man pleading against the voice of aggressors who called themselves followers of Sidon. Before they could enter the temple, the fledgling party had to fend off against steam methods, strange, hot, smoky elementals. Atreus clanged his shield, calling their attention to him as Sophia found a safe hiding spot to cast magic while the rest of the group advanced. After a few moments of fighting, a few Sidon followers came to investigate the sounds of battle, but were quickly dealt with thanks to Sophia, Mercury, and Atreus. Once they entered the temple proper, Inferia wasted no time with her chakrams, cleanly cutting off the head of one of the followers of Sidon and instigating further battle within. The guards got picked off quickly, and it was Atreus who killed their leader. Thanks to Sophia, one of the guards was asleep and tied up for potential questioning. But when one of the Oracle's attendants said that she was in danger, interrogation went out the window. Nyx, not wanting to risk the guard trying anything while they were away, took a dagger from her belt and swiftly killed him with a strike to the temple, explaining her reasons to Sophia, the only member who witnessed it. After fighting against animated swords, the party was able to acquire several healing potions left in the bedchambers of the attendants. They proceeded down a set of stairs delving deeper into the temple where the oracle's chambers were. And once they arrived at the bottom, they could hear laughter, no, cackling in the distance as something seemed to already have the oracle as a hostage. Within the oracle's chambers, our adventurers advanced quickly towards the sounds of the cackling, wanting to save the oracle before it was too late. But as they pushed in, ornate rugs seemed to come to life and wrap themselves around Nyx. Atreus and Theamos made quick work to beat the life out of the rugs and left them on the ground in tatters, focusing on getting to the oracle. They found her. Versi, her name, trapped within a strange water elemental and a cackling hag before her. Versi called out, concerned for Diana, another attendant who had collapsed in the next room thanks to a vicious wound from the hag. Inferia instructed her mechanical stem fay, Ivis, to fly to Diana and stabilize her with one of the healing potions they got from upstairs. 
Helica the Hag managed to frighten Theomos with one look at him and anyone else that dared look at her hideous form. While those on the ground tried to avoid her glances, Mercury froze the water elemental and was able to defeat it with Imperious help, who slashed at the freshly frozen pieces with her chakrams until the entity dispersed. Versi fell safely into the water that filled her domain, and Helica was furious, going after the young dryad that had slain her creation. With Sophia's quick thinking, she cast Sleeping Drought upon the hag, putting her out unconscious. Without the threat of this wicked witch, the rest of the party were able to gather around and put an end to her. Understandably shaken by the endeavor, Versi asked for some time to get her bearings and sent us away for some privacy. On their way out, Sophia procured a note that was on Helica's body, written, it seemed, from Sidon, and telling her to bring Versi to someone named Praxis, but did not specify where. After taking a short rest, Versi was ready to receive her audience and begin the ritual of fate spinning. Like plucking threads upon a loom, Versi tapped into colorful threads that connected to each of the adventurers before her, uniting them together to create a prophecy she had seen before. She claimed the five gods would die fighting the titans, and Sidon and Lutheria would rule with tyranny and darkness. But a group of heroes were a glimmer of hope in this bleak future. The strands pulled from each of them converged into the spool before her, and she began to spin a new fate for Thylea. There would be three great tasks for them to face, but each one would bring them closer to standing on equal ground against Sidon and Lutheria. Once she listed out each task, she spoke to each person individually, and how their threads fell into the grand scheme of things. Everyone had something they were seeking, and accomplishing their goals would also aid in their preparation to become Titan Slayers. Theomos had a shared quarry with Pythor, the god of battle, his father. An old foe that bested even the god of war would be defeated by his son. Nyx and Mercury would need to search a place called the Masi Temple to find clues to the questions they had floating in their minds or haunting their dreams. Atreus was promised that if he followed the path before him, he would be led to the dragon he hunted, and no one need to die anymore. Sophia was to seek out one of the greatest students of the dragon lords within the necropolis if she wanted to learn why her patron had become silent. Inferior's future was with this group, but even more vivid to Versi was her past. This dryad in the oracle had a thread in common. Sidon. Inferior's grandmother had laid with Sidon, making the oracle her aunt. At the end of this ritual of fate spinning, Versi gave Inferia her bracelet, a family heirloom that would aid her in her quest. During that entire ritual, boons were given to everyone in the party. Well, everyone except for Nyx. The oracles chosen were invited to stay the night in another wing of the temple. Mercury was a little nervous, not wanting to sleep underground, but having little options. Maybe he had the right idea, because once everyone had gone to sleep, they all began to have the same dream.
A voice spoke to them about the fragility of man, showing them the withering body of an old man, terrified of an unseen entity before he disappeared. For most of them, the dream stopped there. For Nyx, it went on. The voice of Lutheria spoke directly to her, wondering how far she would go to protect to protect these heroes that surrounded her now, and if she would be willing to aid them, even if it meant her own demise. Nyx awoke to her birthmark, transforming from a ring of trees around her wrist to a swirling moon and sun. Her boon, as it were, could also be seen as a curse, where she could give her allies advantage in their saves and defenses, but it would mean that she would impose disadvantages upon herself. As everyone began to awake that morning, Nyx curled up in her bed, clutching the spearhead she got from her mother and whispering to herself to stay strong in such harrowing times. The Oracle's Chosen rise early in the morning, though not quite well rested. Inferia, having gotten closer to, the, to Nyx over the course of their journey, asked about a nightmare she had. It was exactly the same as Nyx's, up until the last bit that seemed isolated to just Nyx's experience. In a comfortable outdoor patio of sorts, breakfast was prepared for the group between large pillows that they could relax on as they ate their meal. It was Versi's token of appreciation to them for saving her. While stuffing his face, Theamos wanted to know why the Oracle was helping them, despite being a Titan's child. She explained that she had an attachment to the settler races of Thylea, and that she didn't really sit well with how her father seemed disgusted in the non-Thyleans. Now gathered together, the whole group began to share their dream from the night before. They confirmed that it was the same dream, but when Nyx asked if the voice kept talking to them after the show of a man's death, no one could relate. Nyx didn't quite explain what Lutheria had told her in the nightmare she had, but revealed her left wrist, where a birthmark had changed into a new symbol. Mercury was the first to take a look, finding it strange that a birthmark would change, but nothing about it looked like it was branded upon her skin, or if it was created by a needle and ink. Nyx explained afterwards that the voice told her this mark would somehow aid her allies, but it would come at a cost to her. What that cost was, she did not know. Sophia sat in front of Nyx, and with her permission, began a ritual to identify the properties of the mark. Nyx continued on with her theories, one of which was that the voice in her dream had tried to kill her before. But back then, it looked more like a freak accident, where a barmaid tripped over a chair and a loose knife flew towards her. When her ritual was complete, Sophia could see a glimpse of chromatic hues within the markings on Nyx's arm. She couldn't tell quite exactly what this mark was capable of, but she could sense a strong connection with death. At the end of breakfast, Kyra encouraged the Oracle's Chosen to take an oath of fellowship, which would bind them in the spirit of solidarity and allow everyone in the group to benefit from the fame of the others. Sophia was immediately uncomfortable with the idea, refusing to make any oaths. 
The others weren't immediately enthused either, but Theamos made light of it with one of his many jokes. The group agreed to hold off on taking the Oath of Fellowship until after they completed their first great deed, retrieving the Horn of Balmitria and sipping from it to see their own future. With that, Versi saw the prophesized heroes off, giving one more piece of advice to Inferia, her niece. If she was ever lost, follow her heart. A short travel from the Oracle's temple brought them to the bustling city of Astoria, passing by several merchants on their way to the Dragon's Tooth Inn within, where Mercury was familiar with the owner. As they traveled through the streets, Atreus almost bought a cursed necklace from a grave robber who was doomed to feel eternal hunger as punishment for his crime. They listened to rumors in the Agora about something affecting Pythor, the king and god of battle. Similarly enough to an incident almost ten years ago, where he returned from a hunt but was no longer his jovial self. While traveling through the bustling streets, the newfound oracles chosen were approached by a group of hoplites, led by a, name, a man named Xander. They had heard about the chosen heroes and their arrival, and Pythor requested an audience with them. Within the palace, they entered the throne room where Pythor was trying to inspire an audience of nobles, before quickly dismissing them to speak with his honored guest. He told them, distraught, how his daughter was in danger, being specifically requested as the sacrifice for Sidon during the next full moon. If he failed to fulfill this request, Sidon could send armies of centaurs to Astoria and lay siege to the city, knowing that the god could not intervene per the Oath of Peace. An oath seemingly weighed quite heavily in the favor of the Titans. His daughter was all he had left after a dragon by the name of Hexia took his son and wife a decade ago. Theamos wasted no opportunity to scold the god for the drinks that he had washed himself in as he lamented the way his threads of fate wove within his life's loom. In fact, the young demigod was starting to have second thoughts on confronting his supposed father. Unsure how to broach the subject, he decided to just go for it and inquired about his sister's whereabouts. Pythor thought he was being tricked and responded in anger, using his power to force most of the Chosen to their knees. But Theomos was able to withstand the power and used his own godly might to scorn the unworthy and force the god of battle back into his throne for but a moment. He explained to his father that his mother had been taken by Hexia, and he was adopted by soldiers and lived in Mitros for the last ten years. It was definitely not how either pictured a reunion with the other. They continued to talk about the sacrifice at hand, staving off the family drama for now. Pythor explained that if they could negotiate with anyone, it would be Gaius, the commander of Sidon's followers. He hoped that a different agreement could be made, offering fifty oxen instead. But he himself could not negotiate, which is why he sent for them. He offered suggestions for other alternatives if the oxen weren't enough, and then left them alone to discuss their strategy. 
But as he was leaving, Kyra exclaimed how Pythor, her brother, was being so dramatic. But no one cared about that reaction. They all wanted to know if she was aware the entire time that Theamos was in fact Pythor's lost son. She assured them that she wasn't certain, because she was one of several witnesses bound by oath to keep Pythor and Ophia, Theamos's mom's union, a secret. This oath prevented her from disclosing knowledge of Pythor's son. They put the, the pieces together quite quickly, however. The Kyra they were traveling with was actually Kira, the goddess of music. Mercury absolutely lost his composure and kneeled in reverence before the goddess he worshipped. Shortly thereafter, they proceeded to the east wing of the palace to speak with Gaius and see if new terms of sacrifice could be made. It was Theomos who proposed offering themselves as sacrifice instead. Gaius thought the exchange would be favorable, but would need to consult Sidon before agreeing to it. His final word would be returned in a few days. Sophia voiced her disagreement over the impulsive decision once they were back in the halls. She had no intention of dying for a princess she'd never met, and certainly did not like the notion of toying with the wants of titans and gods. The group quickly calmed her concerns, though, confident that they could find a loophole in the terms and exploit it for their benefit. Of course, if the terms were the exact same for them as it would be for Honora. With sacrifices on the mind, they all stayed the night in the dragon's tooth inn. Well, all except for Nyx, who was going to stay at an establishment that she frequented for years in her travels to Astoria. With the rest of the party at the Dragon's Tooth Inn, they had drinks and chatted about various topics. Mercury and Amphiria compared upbringings and their guardians' methods of reprimand if they got out of line as children. Sophia asked Kira a philosophical question involving a turtle, a road, and a potential cart, curious to how she would answer, and satisfied in that answer. As the night went on, they would hear several rumors about the town, and how the people were feeling about the supposed sacrifice of Princess Honora. Public opinion was not great. The princess was quite popular, and everyone seemed hopeful that Sidon would agree to the Oracle's Chosen being the replacement. And that concludes the recap for episodes one through five of Heroes of Thylea. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, may your dice roll twenties, and you always make your saves.